Camel boots on my feet, bow in my hand, walking in the early dawn. Hornady presents American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Redledge and his friends. I'm Red Bull Mike Grace. Wayne Locke is here. Alex joins us via the telephone. Alex, how you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm sitting in my home office in Birch Tree, Missouri, sitting behind this laptop. As some of you know and some of you don't, I've took on a uh, job promotion within Beezer Industrial Professionals. They have uh, promoted me to the Midwest Regional Safety and Sales Manager, everybody. So All right. I work, I work a lot out of my home on the computer, then uh, I'll spend a week on the road uh, doing site visits, and it's all about building relationships for Beezer. All right. Very cool. Very cool. And and they do safety inspections and all kinds of stuff. What we do is we, we work mainly on industrial plants, huge concrete plants, power plants, anything industrial. We specialize in coolers, kilns, vertical mills, uh, conveyor systems. We can go in and, and build a plant from ground up. So oh, wow. I'll be traveling mainly the Midwest here with the surrounding states and uh, focuses the Mississippi River, all the plants down up and down the Mississippi River. Nice. All right, very cool. All right, so Alex, a lot of stuff going on in the uh, in the Missouri Department of Conservation, and I know we have a special guest today that's going to talk about uh, some things that are uh, really cool that are happening. And and you know, they, we, it's the process that started a few years ago and has gotten to the point it is now. I think faster than anybody thought, and that is an elk hunt coming up in Missouri. Why don't you introduce your guest? Yes, I'd like to introduce everybody to Mr. Aaron Hildreth. Aaron is the servant biologist for the state of Missouri. Aaron, uh, uh, welcome to the show, Aaron. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. Now, where, where are you calling from, Aaron, as we speak? I'm calling from Jefferson City. Jefferson City. I think the right way to kick this show off so everybody can get a feel for who you are, to, to know that you're really a true lover of the outdoors. Uh, let's start from the ground up here. Where were you born, Aaron? <laughs> well, I was I was born in Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis, Tennessee, the home of blues, man. That's pretty cool. So you were born in Memphis, and you moved up north. Yeah, I've I've done quite a bit of traveling. So um, middle of high school, moved to Nebraska, and, and that really is where I did find my love for the outdoors. So I've got a family farm there, and so that really is what sparked me to, to pursue. You know, a job in natural resources, but then I did my undergrad work at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln in fisheries and wildlife. I was able to do some research around the country right after that. Moved out to Colorado, spent some time there. Moved to Kentucky and had the opportunity to do my master's work there on the deer that were being um, translocated from Missouri, or sorry, from Kentucky to Missouri and Virginia during those t- those years. Spent a little bit of time out in Idaho as a biologist there, and then ended up here in Missouri about four years ago. Wow. That, that is cool, isn't it, guys? Uh, that is, that's a lot of miles and a lot of uh, different types of scenery. It, in, indeed. 
<laughs> and all of them beautiful states, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so Aaron, I'm going to ask you, and, and if you don't want to answer, it's okay, but uh, of all the places that you've been and lived and worked and studied, which part of the country did you like best? Ooh, yeah, that's, that's, there's a loaded question. <laughs> uh. <laughs> now, we all know you're going to say Missouri, but <laughs> what would be your second well, choice? <laughs> there. I mean, there, there are a lot of absolutely stunning places in Missouri. Um, I'd be lying if I if I said that my heart doesn't absolutely love the prairie. So, you know, the northwestern part of Missouri and even, you know, uh, Nebraska, I, I just love tall grass prairie. You know, it's, it's a fun place to be and a lot of things to see. So mm-hmm. Now, when you lived in Nebraska, where were you in relation to Kearney, Nebraska? Kearney? Yeah, come on. We got to pronounce that right. It's Carney. 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 Scotty says the same thing every time I say it. All right, Carney, where were you in relation to Carney? I was about an hour and a half, two hours straight east on I 80. Okay. So I, I call Lincoln kind of home in that area. So. Okay. The reason I ask one of my best friends in the radio business is a program director and does a morning show at the radio station in Carney, K R N Y. By the name of uh, 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 Scotty, and uh, does the Scotty O show uh, there in Kearney. So, just to throw that out there. You know, Nebraska is also the home of Hornady Ammunition. Everybody, our title partner here within American Roots and uh, Grand Island is where they're located. But anyway, that being said, servant. Let's talk about servant. Some of our listeners may not understand servant. Explain the term servant. The simplest way is. Just think of them as deer, elk, moose, caribou. Well, yeah, that, it really is that simple. That is that is a a great explanation, and uh, I want to commend you for the states that you mentioned. All those states you've mentioned that giant whitetails in them, and the whitetails are thriving, very plentiful. White, you know, there's there's lots of you know. Amazing conservation success stories across the country, but you know, white-tailed deer is you know one of the best examples of something that across the country numbers were incredibly low. I mean, there are a lot of a lot of folks that remember the '50s and '60s, where if you saw a deer in most of the states in this country, it made the front page of the news. And now we have you know literally tens of millions of them across the country. Beautiful. Beautiful. What a story. Now, here we have, we got elk in Missouri, and our main subject here is going to be talking about the elk. Uh, you guys have done a, a, a fine job of rest, the restoration program here in our state. Uh, for some of our listeners that listen across the world, let's talk about that real quick. Elk was traded to Missouri, and go from there. Yeah, so, yeah, elk were native throughout most of you know North America, certainly when we look at the United States and unregulated, you know, usually market hunting in the 1800s did a really good number on them. Missouri probably lost their last elk, oh, give or take 1886, I think was the last reported case of one being harvested in Texas County. Wow. And so we've, we went essentially 150 years without elk in the state. Mm. Fast forward to... You know, 1999-2000, we did a study to look at the feasibility of reintroducing them. That was completed. Things looked favorable, but it was tabled for about 10 years. Fast forward to the summer of 2010, the commission 
um, basically gave the go-ahead then by October of 2010 for us to begin the process of working with Kentucky to reintroduce elk to Missouri. So between 2011 and 2013, so those three years, we brought in a total of 108 elk from the state of Kentucky, and we used you know, elk that they had restored uh, between 1997 and 2002. Wow. What a story, Redbone. It really is a story, and uh, I know we're about to the end of this segment, but just real quick, what is the estimated number of elk right now in the, in the refuge area? So within Missouri, within the restoration you know, area, um, makes up a portion of three counties, we estimate the population as of June 1st of this year to be 207. Uh, so we use June 1st as the biological year, but that's basically the number before calving season started this year. Wow, that's a pretty good success story. All right, folks, we're going to continue with the discussion about the elk, and we're going to talk about the uh, elk hunt, which will be coming up in uh, the fall. Well, you're listening to American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge, and we'll be back. Hi, everybody. This is Aaron Tippin, and you're listening to my old buddy, Alex Rutledge, with American Roots Outdoors and good friends. I've been on a big board for a while. I can load him in the back of my truck. We can take it to a holler. Hornady Ammunition presents American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge. I'm the Red Bull Mike Race. Uh, Wayne Locke is here somewhere. I'm, I'm he was, still here. <laughs> he was very silent a while ago. And, um, of course, we have Alex on the line, and we have uh, Aaron Hildreth from the Missouri Department of Conservation. So, Alex, we left off, you know, kind of going through the numbers of elk that are out there now. I think time to move on to the exciting news that everybody's been excited about since they made the announcement, an elk hunt coming up this fall. Yes, it is exciting, and they had a lottery for this drawing. And uh, I'm going to turn it back over to Aaron here. Aaron's going to explain how the drawing uh, took place, and we're going to announce the winners right here on the radio show. It's going to go worldly to everybody. And uh, all I want to say to Aaron is I want to meet some of these winners because I would love the opportunity to film one of these winners on one of the hunts. So explain to us about the lottery and how it, was, how it all turned out. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I would, I'd be remiss if I didn't back up one little bit and say that this, the, the culmination of the restoration, you know, we're now to the point where we have a sustainable population and we can have a hunt. But this really is something that should be viewed by folks as an incredible conservation success story. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. These things don't happen with a small number of people. Uh, it really takes a large army to make these things work. Um, we've got Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, you know, helps get things going in, in a big way as they have with many other restoration projects across the country. And so, um, again, a, a huge shout out to a lot of partners, a lot of private landowners that have helped get us to where we are today. That's beautiful. And uh, yes, what, what a tremendous success story. And uh, we have 207 help now. I believe it's what you said in the last segment of the show. Uh, that's a pretty good increase in a year or two, you know, several years. Yeah. Yeah. When we look at, you know, we go back to 2014, we estimated that 80 of the original release elk that we you know, reintroduced were still alive. And so the number increase isn't significant, but more or less think that in a five to six year time span, the population is more than doubled. So it's, it's a pretty beautiful. substantial increase. That is beautiful. What a success story, Wayne. 
Yeah, no doubt. A question for you. The 28 elk that you uh, say that you think you lost, uh, was that due to predation or the fact that just the move and they couldn't adapt to the uh, the new environment? Or what do you think the cause was for that? There were there were a variety of things. Um, the, the biggest cause of mortality for elk here in the state really is brainworm. And so uh, it's, it's a parasite that's incredibly common in whitetails throughout the state and throughout most of the country. Um, those two kind of evolved together, and so they don't really have a negative impact with elk. Not always the same. Parasite, thankfully, doesn't cause any issues for humans, so no concern there. But it causes elk some problems, as it does moose as hmm. well. Hmm. Um, but we had brainworm that took a few, and, and many of you, especially if and it wasn't just isolated to Missouri, 2012 was a really, really bad drought year. A uh, record book in, in many, many locations, and... The timing of that couldn't have been worse for us, but I think the fact that we still had 80 that made it through is a testament to how resilient those critters are. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, the fact that 80 and now you're at 207, that's a heck of an increase in just a short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was amazing, and, and I, got, I got an opportunity to be at the media day uh, there uh, when they were getting ready to bring the elk in to see the facilities where they're going to bring them. And, and guys, I don't know if you remember, but uh, every every precaution was taken to make sure that those elk didn't see humans. In the pen they brought them in, the way they were going to release them into the pen, the pen was, was absolutely uh, uh, covered around the edges with, with solid fence. I mean, those elk were transported, and, and, and Aaron, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, they were transported without ever actually interacting with humans whatsoever which is really kind of an amazing thing, an amazing feat when you think you're bringing them all the way from Kentucky. Yeah, once while they were in Kentucky, you know, we, we have to do our due diligence to make sure that the animals that we're bringing in are healthy mm-hmm. and don't pose a risk to other wildlife or livestock in the state. And so that while they were in Kentucky, they did undergo very rigorous uh, disease testing and quarantine process mm-hmm. to make sure that they were healthy to transport. Once they were loaded for transport, I mean, there was essentially – no interaction with them until they were released in the pens in Missouri. We did a slow release so that the animals are more likely to stay where they're released. Um, and the only interaction they would have had was whatever staff needed to put feed in there. that was a supplement to whatever was already available naturally. Okay. That's amazing. It really was an amazing, amazing process. It was an amazing thing to see. Uh, let me put it that way. All right. So uh, we, we started to talk about the, uh, the process of getting, in the drawing, and, and, and I think we want to go to what people's names were drawn. So let's talk about the lottery that was held to uh, pick the people that are going to get to go on the first regulated elk hunt in Missouri. Yeah, so in April, early April of this year, the commission set the quota for five permits. Four would go to um, residents of the state. One would go to a resident landowner within the state. The application period was during the month of May, and we ended up with 19,182 applicants for the four general permits and then 33 uh, qualifying landowners put their name in the hat for the one landowner permit. Wow. Wow. Were you all surprised by the numbers? Uh, I've been asked that question a lot, and I think at the, the end of the day, we didn't necessarily know what to expect, but, you know, it's awesome to see that. You know, there are so many people that are interested in it, you know, especially even as we look at the times we find ourselves now with, you know, uncertainty and the, the COVID 
pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, it was awesome to see that there's such an interest in elk hunting in Missouri. So that's, that's awesome. I think the biggest now, surprise for me was the 33 landowners. I, I thought for sure it would, that number was going to be a lot higher. Yeah, there, it was somewhat structured to somewhat intentionally keep that number low. So they had to be landowners from within a smaller boundary. That permit was is only valid for this year on their own private property, similar to other landowner tags in the state. And you know, one of the things that we put in, in our press releases was we know that there are many chunks of private land that right now, at least, elk are not using. So if you haven't seen elk on your property within the last 10 years, don't put your name in the hat for the landowner one. Save those opportunities for landowners who have active elk use right now so that they can maximize their opportunity at harvesting one. Wow. Okay. All right. Very cool. That explains it. All right. So we're about out of time in this segment. Uh, So uh, we've gotten to that part. The drawing was held when? So... We, the application period closed um, at midnight on May 30th or May 30th or June 1st, whichever date you want to call in there. Um, And we then went ahead and actually did the draw early in the month of June and then went through the verification process to make sure that those names that were selected were in fact, you know, able to legally have that permit. Yeah, and Wayne had a, a question for me uh, earlier. Now, uh, as far as the elk it's, or the uh, hunt itself goes, it's up to the hunter, if I'm correct, uh, if I read it right, to decide if they want to go hunt with a bow or a rifle. Is that correct? We'll say yes and no. They can hunt both, actually. So we have one permit for each of those hunters. With that permit, there are two portions of the season. There's an October archery portion, which does allow the use of crossbows so the same methods that are legal for archery deer hunting in the state are legal for the archery elk portion and then if a hunter still has a valid tag after that permit or an unfilled tag they could participate in the firearms portion which is the 12th through the 20th of december so the same tag is good for both portions as long as you didn't fill it in the earlier one Okay, gotcha. All right, folks, we're talking about the elk hunt coming up next fall in Missouri. You're listening to American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge, and we'll uh, take a break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Eddie Salter, and you listen to American Roots and Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. presents American Roots Outdoors, and this is your host, Alex Rutledge. What a great show we're having, Redbone and Wayne. We're, we're very happy to have Aaron Hildreth here with us, the servant biologist for MDC, and he's sharing some great information for us. And I just want to share a quick story with everybody. I have friends in Colorado that owns 40,000 acres. They run 2,000 mama cows, and the biggest complaint I've heard here in, in Missouri is that we're worried about our fences. We're worried about diseases. My friends have been guiding elk hunts out there for over 20-plus years, and I talked to them about some of these concerns, and they said, man, we very seldom have to fix our fence because of elk. We fix fence because of our cattle when we do our elk. But that being said, uh, I just wanted to share that to all of our listeners. And, again, Aaron, uh, thank you for what you're doing. Now let's talk about the winners of the drawing, if we may. So we have five winners. 
one landowner and four people that was drawn. Let's talk about it. Can we announce their names now and where they're from? I got uh, yeah, we have, got the list. Yeah, we have Bill Clark of Van Buren, Joseph uh, Benthal of Mount Vernon. I'm, I'm, I hope I don't butcher this name too bad, but uh, we have Michael Bujast of St. Thomas. Samuel Schultz of Winfield and Eugene Galky of Liberty. There you have it. Congratulations to these winners. And if you're listening to this show, this podcast, please contact me if you're interested in having your hunt filmed. We'd love to film it for American Roots Outdoors. And uh, again, what a great task that's accomplished here in the Ozarks with getting our elk back. And we finally got a season, Redbone. Yeah, and you know, and and you know, we got the landowner uh, in Van Buren. What was his name again, Wayne? Uh, the one in Van Buren uh, was Bill Clark. He's uh, seventy-eight years old. All right, Bill Clark. Now, uh, Aaron, I want to I want you to answer this question. Now, if people, this landowner, since he's been chosen, can he now subsell his hunt, or does he have to take the hunt himself? He he. The we designed it intentionally so that. All permits, regardless of whether they're the landowner or the regular, are not transferable. Okay. And you know, a lot of this goes back to, you know, the the biological management when it comes to hunting for elk in Missouri is honestly pretty simple. The social side of it is a little more, is honestly, where the, the work comes in. We mm-hmm. went to Missourians to seek their input on how elk hunting would look like in the state. And... You know, in addition to, to hearing what we expected of, you know, like resident only, we also heard they wanted the process to be as fair as possible and to minimize, you know, the impact of those that happen to have quite a bit of money. We wanted this to be truly an opportunity where regardless of who you are, if you're a Missouri resident, you have the same opportunity for this. Yeah, actually, uh, Redbone and I were just talking about that before we got on the air, that this is the pricing of this is definitely blue-collar pricing. No one can say, oh, this is priced for rich people only that are going to participate. I mean, a $50 tag, to me, that is just amazing that it's even that low. But going back to whether or not you can transfer the hunt, the one thing I I did like, if if I'm correct in this, is that if you do not use your tag that you were drawn on, you actually... um, you lose out for life, correct? You're banned for life from reapplying again? Not for life, but you do. You are prohibited from applying again for 10 years if you are drawn. So oh, yeah, regardless years, okay. of whether you fill your permit or not, once you have been drawn for an antlered elk tag, you have a 10-year sit-out period. Oh, wow. Well, that's good. Wow, wow. So that's, a, that's a long time. <laughs> 10 years is a long it time. Is. We can understand why. Well, okay, sure. Behind so everybody will have a better chance of getting drawn. Yeah, there's always that one lucky guy that gets drawn, and then three years later gets another one, and three years <laughs> later gets another one. <laughs> it's like when you go to those gun raffles, there's that one table that one guy sits at, and he walks out with half the guns in the gun show. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, and I asked a question about Bill Clark because I didn't want everybody in the world to start calling Bill Clark and saying, hey, Bill, I'll give you $5,000 for that elk tag, or I'll give you – you know, right. a bunch of money for that elk tag. Uh, and, and I think that may be part of the reason why MDC did it the way they did. Uh, and, and you know, I'm sure that, that Bill appreciates that fact, that uh, the fact that now he's not going to have 100 people a day calling him trying to buy that elk tag. Yeah, I would imagine 
Yeah, he's probably not complaining about that. And <laughs> Mr. Clark is, is truly an awesome gentleman. He's done a ton of a ton of great quality habitat work on his property that's benefited lots of wildlife. Wow, fantastic. Now, has he actually had, uh, I guess he has or he wouldn't have applied, has he had elk come onto his property? Y- yes, he has. Wow. And apparently he hasn't complained about it. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, he, he truly manages that property for the benefit of all wildlife. Um it's, it's a gorgeous property with, you know, if you can name it and it's found in the state, it's probably walked through his property. Wow. I, I want to say this, everybody. If, if you love floating the current river, uh, a good place to possibly see elk is anywhere from the log yard area up or down the river stretch right there. I'll never forget two or three years, about three years ago, I was fishing with a friend, and it was in September. September, I believe, or late August, and uh, we thought we heard cow calling, and she goes, well, ow, ow. and it was, we never did get to see them, but we heard, then we heard an elk bugle, so if you're floating the river, keep your eyes peeled in those areas there, you just might see elk on the riverbanks. Right, so, Aaron, I know that when the, when the elk were released, and, and you know they were they were collared and and things like that. Some of them, uh, so you could track their movements. Uh, has there been mm-hmm. anything that has surprised y'all with the movement of the elk? Um, I, I say this somewhat jokingly at many of the presentations I give, but I, I'm almost serious at the same time. Uh, I, I swear it's like elk could read a map. <laughs> um, I mean. We all know that obviously they can't read a map. You know, uh, any boundary that we put on something means nothing to elk. But I, I think you know when we when we first were introduced to elk, we had a you know a zone that we wanted the elk to stay you know close to, and elk really have done it. And we look at we've collected more than a thousand GPS locations from elk since reintroduction to present. Of that million locations more than 95 percent of them are within the restoration zone boundary and that's it's not just luck that that happened it really is a testament to the on the ground habitat work that was done before we were introduced elk and that continues to this day by mdc other governmental organizations like the park service um, and then non-governmental organizations like the Nature Conservancy or Pioneer Forest. And then there's a really, really dedicated group of private landowners that work their butt off to provide really good, high-quality habitat for all wildlife that certainly benefits elk. And it's all of that work combined. That's the reason that elk have stayed in that area and continue to do so well. I have a question. Uh Uh-huh. What is the furthest that any elk has traveled from where you turned the elk loose? Can you can you answer that question? I believe we had one elk uh, in 2011, so the first release cohort. I believe she went fairly close to the Arkansas state line, almost straight south of Peck. Outside of that, uh, we've had a few elk that have wandered maybe... 20 miles from, we'll say, Peck Ranch, but most of them 
they're kind of right in there as you described. You know, if you're if you're at log yard and you go upriver or downriver, you know, more or less, I mean, it, there's just not a whole lot of elk that are moving outside of. If we were to draw a square, you know, Van Buren, Winona, Eminence, and Ellington, if you look within that boundary, elk pretty comfortably stay within that boundary almost all the time right now. Wow. Oh, that is really cool. All right, folks, we need to go to a break. We'll be back to uh, uh, with one more segment of our American Roots Outdoors radio show for this week. And, uh, folks, we'll be back right after this. Hey, everybody, this is Michael Water with Bone Collector, and you're listening to my buddy Alex Rutledge on American Roots Outdoors, man. Don't miss an episode. Passed on down, planted deep in the ground around your heart so you never got to worry. What the wind might do, American Roots. Hornady presents American Roots Outdoors. Welcome back to the show, man. What a great show we're having. We've got Mr. Aaron Hildreth, the servant biologist for MDC, and we're learning all kinds of things here, guys. Wayne, I know you're chomping at the bit to ask some questions, so go ahead, Wayne. Yeah, when we were talking about the uh, radio collars and the boundaries, and you said that you weren't uh, that uh, too surprised that they kind of left, or that you were surprised that they did not leave this like square area that you guys kind of had mapped out in your in your map of where you kind of wanted them to stay in that. When uh, in back in the '80s, I did some uh, radio collaring for the deer, the whitetail deer in the Cleveland Metro Parks uh, up there in Ohio, and as part of that program. And one of the surprising things that we found is. That's back when uh, learning about the white-tailed deer was all new and, you know, their range and that. Everybody kind of thought, well, this is where it was. This is where they stay. And when we captured and collared them and then we had to go find them and we started tracking them, it was shocking at the time that, you know, some of these deer, especially during the rut, were traveling up to eight miles from where we captured and collared them. And we're like, you know, at the time back in the 80s, that's when all this was coming out about the uh, the range of the white-tailed deer. You know, everybody kind of thought, well, they just kind of stayed in this area. And it was a shock when uh, it, you know, we, that information came out and we were finding that these deer were going eight miles out of their way just to travel around. Um, so there was nothing like that that was, um, uh, you know, real surprising to you, like during the rut or anything. Did you find like they traveled looking for other things? Yeah, we, we did see, we would certainly see localized shifts. And I mean, and obviously anyone who knows elk knows that for an elk to walk 10 miles is, is a, it's a leisurely stroll for an elk. They can cover that ground with their eyes closed, you know, and blindfolded almost in the blink of an eye. But you know, we, we do see seasonal shifts in how different animals use the landscape. So bulls in particular, um, they kind of have their similar bachelor hangout areas that a lot of cows don't tend to frequent. But once breeding season comes, yeah, we, we definitely see they uh, disperse out of their bachelor groups and can become far more active seeking out where those cow groups are. But almost as soon as breeding season really ends, they start slowly migrating back out to where they just chill out for the next 10 or 11 months. Well, speaking speaking of traveling, though, we, you probably got a lot of people coming in and you know traveling from distances to come in and see these elk, don't you? We we do, yeah. T- the tourism side of it is is huge. You know, and we we look at so both on Peck Ranch and Current River Conservation areas, there are driving tours on those areas. And in 2016, we you know did a survey of visitors to those two areas on those two driving tours. 
And for those who are coming to view elk, just on those two areas in one year, we estimated roughly a $1.3 million economic impact to those local communities just from people wow. coming to see elk. And we look at the Ozarks of Missouri, you know, the, tourism is a huge driver, but it's primarily between Memorial Day and Labor Day and revolves around the current river. So right. elk have the, have the potential to significantly contribute to the local economies there and kind of extend that tourism season to some extent almost year-round. Yeah, and Aaron, I would think that as more and more elk uh, continue to uh, to be had in the in that area, and they become more and more visible, that more and more people will be coming to see them. I, I would tend to agree with you. I think the same. One of the positives that we're seeing here, everybody, and and we've got to really address this and, and take attention to it. Look at the revenue that it's helping create within our counties, right where these elk is at. So that's that's a lot of positive. And we've got to commend the MDC for what what's happening here. Yeah, I would agree, Alex, and I, and I think that uh, you know there, I, I know there are some communities that are wanting to be the elk capital of Missouri, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> are trying to lay claim uh, to that, uh, and, and rightfully so. I mean, it's something to be very proud of. Uh, but uh, from the economic standpoint, uh, man, you know, and this is something, Alex and and Aaron that I think maybe right here, uh, people that live here are not taking advantage of going and seeing these elk. I mean, they've been up there now for four or five years that you've been able to go up and drive and see them. I've not done that yet. We're going the fall to listen to them bugle. And we talk about it every year, but we never get around to going. So, uh, folks, if you live local and you've never gone to see the elk, it's something you really need to do. And I, I think it's one of those things, just like our state parks and some of our other attractions that we have, when we grow up around them, Aaron, we, we sometimes take them for granted, I guess. Yeah, it, it, at times we do. I mean, it, it's also worth pointing out, you know, both of those, both Peck Ranch and Current River Conservation Areas, and that there are other places to view elk, especially on, like, Park Service property. Mm-hmm. Um, those areas are, to the, are open to the public free of charge sun up to, sun, to sundown. So there really isn't a whole lot of excuse, and it, it, it's also – it's awesome to see that there has been, there was some caution voiced by you know, individuals across the state about the reintroduction of elk. When we look at where we are today, by and large, the local support and acceptance and adoption of the elk, as you mentioned, you know, there's, there's three towns vying for elk capital of Missouri. Um, the local communities really have latched on and, and kind of, you know, take an elk under their wing. They, they truly do care about that resource here in the state. Right, so, Aaron, what's next for the Elk Restoration Project? I mean, I know that this is a continuing effort. What's, what's next? What can we expect? All sorts of fun stuff. So if we look at where kind of our population trajectory is going, it's certainly possible that we may have more than 400 elk just within the next five years. So our population yeah. may double in by 2025. Oh, that'd be great. And you know, as this as the population continues to grow, you know, right now we have a population goal of about 500 elk. Um, ultimately, you know, we, we will reach back out to Missourians and to local residents and landowners to kind of gauge their thoughts on how and where elk look like locally in the future. But you know, we'll see how some of that changes. But as the population again continues to grow, we'll probably look at the opportunity for antlerless hunting as well. So the opportunity to harvest cows to truly keep the population within that 
you know, level that we want it mm-hmm. based on the habitat that's available for them and um, public tolerance for them. So that, that uh, those opportunities could be coming even in the next couple of years as that population starts to really ramp up. You know, guys, if you really think about this, history is being made mm-hmm. right here in Shannon County and Carter County. I mean, history being made of the restoration program of the elk being brought back with MDC and landowners working together. You know, Alex, it's funny you say that because I was just thinking, like right now, you look at, you know, you grew up around here without elk in your life, you know, in this area. And our, my kids now, three years old and two year old, they're going to grow up with elk in the area. And they're going to grow up thinking that elk has always been here because so it's one of those things where, you know, in schools and stuff like that, we're going to have to teach them how important this restoration was, that they were never here before. They're here now. And I'm, I'm grateful for MDC that now my kids get to grow up and have the opportunity, hopefully in the future, to, uh, you know, apply for an elk tag and that. And, you know, locally, that's amazing. Yes, it is. And, uh, again, we've got to take our hats off to MDC. And, again, we want to thank Aaron for doing what he's doing and, Thanks for choosing Missouri, Aaron, to move down here and help us with this, this great history uh, being made. I I haven't regretted it. Again, it's you know while yes, MDC has done a lot. It you know a, a big big kudos and thanks goes out to private landowners and all the different groups, you know, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and others that have helped get us here. Again, MDC alone, while we can do a lot of great things because of the support of Missourians through the conservation sales tax, this is an effort that wouldn't have been possible on our own. So this took a lot of people and a lot of effort. Yes, sir. We have a bonus segment coming up. And what I want to do in this bonus segment, we also got a segment where somebody asks a question. Wayne's going to bring that up. But what I want to do is in the bonus segment, I want you to reveal uh, spots, locations where people can possibly go see and visually see these elk. So, uh, Wayne, take it over from here. Yeah, we got the uh, podcast coming up. And uh, to listen to the podcast, of course, you have to just go to your favorite podcast carrier, look American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge, listen to it. You'll get the bonus segment. And uh, we're going to have the question from Amy this week out of Montana, actually. And her question was, what species of whitetail, or excuse me, <laughs> I just said whitetail, what species of deer have you guys taken in your lifetime? And to hear that answer, just got to listen to the podcast. All right, so that'll be coming up. Well, that's going to wrap it up for the American Roots Outdoors radio show for this week. And again, uh, uh, get on your internet now and get on that podcast so you can hear more. And uh, again, thank you to Aaron Hildreth from the Missouri Department of Conservation for being with us, for Alex Rutledge, Alvaro Mike Mikeace, and uh, for Wayne Locke. Remember, when your roots run deep and strong, there's no reason to fear the wind. So you never gotta worry what the wind might do, American Roots. Thank you for joining us for today's American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge. You can find us on Facebook. Look us up on the World Wide Web at AmericanRootsOutdoors.com. We'll be back again next week on this great radio station. Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. This is Wayne Locke. I got Mike Crace in the studio here with me. Alex is on the phone and Aaron is on the phone. And uh, if you're listening to this, that means you are on the podcast. We thank you very much for joining us on the podcast and ask you to please leave us a review. That helps us greatly in our rankings. Uh, The question that we had when we left 
last on segment was from Amy in Montana, and that was, what species of deer have you taken in your life? Uh, Alex, go ahead and kick it off. My deer, the deer that I've harvested, uh, whitetail, I've harvested them in uh, Nebraska, Iowa, Illinois, Missouri, Alabama, uh, let me think Oklahoma. Uh, never have harvested one in Texas, Kansas, and I've also harvested elk in Colorado, New Mexico, and I had the opportunity to call an elk in for one of our old Bloodline team members, Mike, and uh, it was a big bull. We was hunting in Harding County, so I've harvested elk, and I shot a mule deer in British Columbia, Canada, so that's the deers that I've harvested. Nice. Yeah, I, I, and whitetail for me, and I've never been on elk hunt, although I'm going to put in again next year. Uh, <laughs> if you can help me with that, any Aaron. Um, but anyway, no, uh, whitetail in, in Missouri and Arkansas. Aaron, what about you? Uh-oh. Mine will actually be pretty pretty short. Um, whitetail in Nebraska and then elk in Colorado. Okay. And for me, it's just whitetail. I've been dying to go on a uh, an antelope hunt, though, so that's on my bucket list. And an elk hunt uh, in New Mexico is also on my bucket list. Amy, I hope that answers your yeah. question. And uh, But uh, speaking of elk, uh, and we were talking about uh, Peck Ranch just a little bit ago, where in Peck Ranch and what other locations can uh, people go to see these elk? So by far the easiest location when you're on Peck Ranch um, is on the driving tour and Depending on the time of the year, um, the valley road, so the road that literally runs right down the valley of Peck Ranch, uh, is one of the best opportunities. I will caution uh, for folks that are going to look for elk, focus at dawn and dusk. If you're looking in the middle of the day, um, just like it's you know wonderfully uh, hot and humid outside in Missouri right now, the elk have no desire to stand out in the heat. So look at dawn and dusk when you typically think about deer being really active. It's the same for elk. Um, if you're wanting a little bit of a hike, you know, there are some, some if you keep going past where the driving tour is on Peck, uh, the rest of Peck is open to foot traffic, just not vehicle. Um, there are lots of opportunities to see elk throughout most of Peck Ranch. We get off of Peck, um, as was mentioned earlier, the log yard area with the park service, there's some nature conservancy property around that has um, some decent viewing opportunities as elk move to and from spots. You can look up um, Owl's Bend. I mean, pretty well if you take Owl's Bend, Blue Spring area, and take it all the way you know, south of Van Buren down to Big Spring, um, there's a pretty decent chance along a good stretch of that that is a good place to start for folks. And then current river conservation area and the driving tour there. Um, there's some really good opportunities, especially if you key in on some of the, the plots that are there at dawn and dusk. Nice. That's really cool. And the driving tour, and, and I know it was before the elk were released, but when I was there on media day, uh, way back when this whole process started, they actually took us on the driving tour. And Aaron, there are a lot of food plots alongside of the road and the hope was that the elk would come into those food plots and people would be able to see them from the roadway. Now, if you are there and there are some elk in that field or one of those, and there's a lot of them, a lot of those fields, can you get out of your car at that point and take photos or do you encourage people to stay in the vehicles? That is a great, great question. Um, we strongly encourage folks to stay in their vehicle. Take all the photos you want, um, but please stay in your vehicle you know, remember that 
these are wild animals. And while in 99 out of 100 cases, they want to get away from you quicker than you want to get away from them. Um, again, we have to remember that they are wild animals and that you know, like we hear occasionally about incidents, usually in Yellowstone with bison or bears or mm-hmm. elk and people getting attacked. It's because humans got too close to wildlife. And so we should keep our distance. Um, and not only does that make, keep the animals safer and us safer, it's also important to remember that many times there's someone else that's wanting to view those animals as well. And so if you get out of your vehicles and start moving around, those elk or what other wildlife, they're going to move back away from you and usually go back into the timber where you can't see them anymore. And that'll also ruin somebody else's wildlife viewing opportunities. Yeah, that was a point that I was hoping that you would make is, is the fact that you're going to ruin it for the next guy who might be a couple hundred yards behind you in his car with his family. Yeah. Also wanting to see the elk, and that is certainly not fair. So Yeah, and they just had a, a young lady was just mauled uh, in Yellowstone two days ago from a bison. She got out to take pictures. I don't know if you guys saw that or not yeah. in the news. Yeah, yeah bad yeah, thing. I think and, that's the second one this year since yes, it is. reopened. Yeah, and have been several in the past couple of years. So, yeah, stay away from the buffalo. All right, uh, all right so, Alex, anything else for you as we uh, move through and uh, wrap up the uh, podcast here? Yeah, again, I just want to commend uh, MDC and the private landowners uh, for what they're doing for the Ozarks. You know, this is a great opportunity to uh, bring back something that was uh, misused and abolished, and now we have elk back here in the Ozarks. It's going to generate a lot of revenue for the Ozarks. It's all about generating revenue to help our counties and uh, to help our people. So we got to commend these folks for that. And uh, I want to thank Aaron for being on the show. And, again, thank you for choosing Missouri, Aaron. And I look forward to meeting you in person, and maybe someday we can share a camp together. And please keep American Roots outdoors in mind. If Mr. Bill Clark would love to have his hunt filmed or any of those folks that was chosen, we would love the opportunity to film this to make a great show to be aired on American Roots Outdoors. I I thank you for the opportunity to be on, and it's yeah, it's truly my pleasure to work in a state that the citizens clearly care so much about wildlife and conservation. So it makes my job easy. Aaron, for more information, oh, for uh, more information, Aaron, how can everybody contact you to share comments or whatever? Uh, wh- where they need to go? So they can just go to our probably the simplest way is to go to the MDC website and um, just in the Google search bar, type in Ask MDC, and you can ask all the questions you want, and you know, they'll get directed around. And usually, they'll end up to me if they're about elk or um, you can just call you know, any office, and they can reroute you to my number or provide my email address to you. So, All right, folks, that's going to wrap it up for our podcast for today. Uh, again, don't forget to leave a review, and um, because when you leave those reviews, that gets you into the uh, drawing for a prize that we're going to be giving away here in, uh, what, just another week or so, right, Wayne? Oh, yeah, we've got a few different prizes going on right now, but just general reviews will get you into the year-end contest that we're going to draw, and we'll have three lucky winners out of there for a second and third prize. So thank you, everybody, for listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. This is Wayne Locke, Mike Crace, and on behalf of Alex Rutledge and Aaron, thank you very much, and have yourself a great day. And remember, like we say here at American Roots, when your roots run deep and strong, there's no reason to fear the wind. <laughs>